You're listening to America's Web Radio. And now time for the Classic Car Show with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber. Good morning and welcome to the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. First off and foremost, we are supposed to have, and I take all the blame, I wish I could take credit, but I take all the blame, for I gave out the wrong telephone number to our guest, uh, Jay Follis, and I hope he's got the computer on and listening to us. Jay, it should be 223, not 233, so... It's 470-223. If you'll give us a call in, the rest of the number was correct. I apologize. I was looking at uh, the email that you had sent me, and I scrolled down and noticed, and I thought, oh, my goodness. And I didn't have a number for you. So, Jay, uh, if you're listening, again, the number is 470-223, and the rest of it is correct if you'll give us a call. Um I understand that uh, Steve and Jim are taking me out after the show and rocking me. I think that's Sharia law or something. Uh, no, there's something about American Sniper. We're going to take American you to Sniper. the movie. Oh, yeah, okay, you're going to well. sit between us at the movie. Okay, so, uh, Jay, well, I, I hope you're listening. Yes. I hope you got your email that I sent you, and uh, I apologize to everyone. Jay, by the way, is with the Gilmore Car Museum in... Uh, uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Kalamazoo, Michigan, yes. Uh, well, Hickory Corners. Uh, Hickory Corners, yeah, actually. Yeah. 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 So, That's right down the block. Just over yonder a bit. But anyway, uh, Jay, I do hope you're listening. I hope you checked your email or something, and uh, you can give us a call. Again, the number is 470-223 instead of uh, 233. I apologize. So uh, I'm going to go check my email and see if Jay has gotten his email. I tried getting his number and uh, failed at that as well, and I didn't have a backup number for Jay, and I, I apologize to everybody, but hey, stuff happens. It does. And, yes, it uh, does. Steve and I can just carry the program. But we really like to have Jay call in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because so, it's a it's an interesting concept, Gilmore. Yes, yes. It's oh, yeah. not like anything you've ever seen anywhere, because it's yeah. not just a building filled with cars. Yeah, it's numerous buildings. Yeah, and they're all car club sponsored, and and. Um, Speaking of car clubs, Mr. Ronaldo's current newly acquired recently in the past MGB Roadster 1965 pull handle three main bearing is pictured in the latest issue of Antique Automobile from when you went on the Founders Tour right? I don't know. I haven't. Through New Jersey. I, yeah, it's the New Jersey. See, yeah, it's uh, the New Jersey tour. I can. Yeah, we I, yeah. do two hundred and six. Uh, yeah, we a do year. too many. Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, that was a, that was a fun tour. The the highlight of that tour for me was the one of the guys who was on the committee uh, was sponsored by Buzzard's Breath, my touring region, is one of three people in the United States who can design build, repair, and restore pipe organs. And in Atlantic City, in the main building, is the largest pipe organ in the United States. And he said by the time it's all done, he'll be dead. Wow. He will never see the completion of the restoration of this pipe organ. 
Well, you know, the interesting thing is the pipe organ is also featured in this article. Yeah, so, it's quite a story, yeah. yeah. Uh, if you don't belong to AACA and you are a car enthusiast, please join. I th- well, I think you can You can also get the magazine online, too. Yeah, but it's just it's a beautiful yeah. magazine, and it's polished, and it's lovely, and it's not for sale on the newsstand. So. No, you have to, it's a member, or you can... I, I, I don't know if the current one is on. I know the, the one after, but the, the, they took us through the, the uh, pipe organ uh, stuff. Some of the pipes are so big you can stand inside. Did you? Uh, yeah, you walk through. Wow. It's wow. quite a place. I mean, it, it, it's just huge. And oh, whoa. We, we got him? We will in a second if we don't get overly excited. Okay, if I'm correct, we've got Mr. Jay Follis on the line. And, uh, Jay, again, I apologize for giving you the wrong number. I did... Uh, I did send you an email Ooh. that you'll get uh, tomorrow or sometime. Anyway, I apologize, and uh, thank you for sending me an email so I could get back in touch with you. So with that being said, it is a pleasure to welcome Jay Follis from the Gilmore Car Museum and uh, 90 acres of beautiful grounds to the Classic Car Show. So I'll turn it over to the experts, Mr. Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber, and... Jay, thank you for understanding that uh, old old, <laughs> no, old people no make mistakes. Hey, hey, Jay, actually, that was his bookie's phone number, so I don't know. If, if yeah, <laughs> or something found on a bathroom wall. I don't know. <laughs> Which bathroom? Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Well, at your age, it wouldn't matter. <laughs> Good morning, Jay. This is Jim Good Weber. Good morning. Glad to be with you. This Jay, yeah. Steve Ronaldo here. How you doing? Doing fantastic, Steve. Nice to be with you guys this morning, and. Uh, even with a little little problem with phone number, I think we've made it work. Oh. I think so, too, yes. yeah. Yes. Um, I, I just have one question before we start talking about the museum. Mr. Gilmore sponsored sure. A.J. Foyt, right? Well, actually, that was his nephew. Oh, it was Donald his Gilmore. nephew. Yeah, Donald Gilmore was the chairman of Objon Corporation. Okay. And his nephew was Jim Gilmore, and they had the Gilmore Foyt race team, and we actually have a 1974... Uh, Gilmore Foyt race car in the in the museum, but yeah, that was his nephew. Beautiful. Well, AJ, AJ's birthday was yesterday. He was eighty uh-huh. years old, or parts of him are eighty years old, because I guess he's got a lot of. <laughs> yeah, knees a few of the OEM stuff has been changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's funny when you say parts of them because we have uh, like we have the one race car, and they claim it's uh, well, the claim was when it was given to Donald Gilmore, or I mean, sorry, to Jim Gilmore by AJ. He said, this is the one I won Indy, the, the fourth Indy with, so I want you to have it. So he took it and hung it up in his dealerships. He had car dealerships. And then uh, years later, we find out that the, the Indy 500 Museum has one that they claim that you know AJ told this is the one that won. Well, then a few years ago, he had an auction. He said, no, this is the one. So we all believe we have parts of <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's like the old story that... Uh, 15 of the original 12 McLaren Mark 6s showed up at a vintage race. So Yeah. And all, and all, and all 700 of the 62 fuel injection, 200 of those that were made showed up at the right. Bloomington Gold last right. year. Right, yeah. Well, <laughs> let's talk about your museum. Certainly. It, uh, it started in 1963, and uh, I believe, if I remember rightly, it was one building then, correct? 
Yeah, actually what happened was Donald Gilmore, like I said, was the chairman of Upjohn Corporation and big pharmaceutical, and he was getting getting ready to retire, and his wife thought he kind of needs a hobby. You know, what am I going to do with it when he retires? So she went out and bought him an antique car that was a project, a 1920 Piercero. And they um, put up an old military tent, and he put the car in there and started working on it and had some guys from Upjohn come and work on the engine, and that's what started it. And that was 1963. So he thought, this tent's not going to work. So he put a building up right across the street from his house, just one little machine shop. And uh, he really got the bug, really got it bad. Um, he started going out and buying cars. Most of them were already restored because he realized um, the hobby was a great hobby, but restoring cars wasn't the part of the hobby that he would be enjoying. So he uh, took the machine shop and started filling up with cars. So then he realized, you know what, I've, I've got to do something different. So he went uh, and bought two farms that were adjacent to his property right there uh, in Hickory Corners, which is just north of Kalamazoo. Um, and he put up a, a one building there as a machine shop, uh, and then he put up one as a display building. And they looked like barns, so they kind of fit in with the, uh, the area. And that was 1963. By about 1964, he had 35 cars. And this collection just kept growing and growing. So then people at Upjohn would say, well, we'd love to come check out your collection. So he would let people come on Sunday afternoons, and he and his wife would, you know, be great, you know, guests or uh, hosts and let people go through and see their collection. Um, and before long, he realized, wow, this is growing pretty fast. I guess I need more buildings. So he'd go around and start collecting barns. And he would take a barn. The farthest one we have was from 45 miles away, and they took it down board by board, brought it out to his new property, and um, build a new building, new barn. And he did that with several old barns. The, the biggest one is 1897, and it used to be used for uh, Wrigley Spearmint Gum. They stored spearmint hay in it about 45 miles That's away cool. from the museum. Wow. And uh, then he plotted off 90 acres and put about two and a half miles of paved road. And that was just going to be his own, I guess, playground, an area to drive around and have a good time. But then a local car club said, well, we would love to come see your collection. So they said, you know what, let's just open it on Sunday afternoons. Anybody that wants to come see it can come see it. And uh, Donald and Genevieve Gilmore would dress in period clothing and, you know, on those days where they would host a group and have them come out. And finally it was Genevieve that said, you know, we really just need to open this to the public as a real museum. So in 1966, they donated the property, an endowment, all the cars, uh, and created the uh, Gilmore Car Museum as a nonprofit. And so we're close to, we're at our 49th year this year. As being open to the public as a nonprofit, Excellent. and it all started with just that first car. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a great museum. I was there with years and years ago. <laughs> I was on the AACA board and and knew a lot of the guys in here out there, and they were they were talking about some of the stuff. And uh, I ran into Thursday Don Peterson, one of the big wheels in the old Classic Car Club, and he was saying that they were the first of the, the clubs to, to get affiliated with the, the Gilmore collection. They were the first um, first ones to do a separate building. And I, I don't think a lot of people, when we start talking about museums, I, I don't think people get what's going on there. They just think, oh, it's just another big building filled with cars. You know? Yeah, and, I, and you're right. That's, a lot of times that's what happens. People show up to the museum, and I think they assume, oh, they're going to see a pole barn or two full of cars. And when we say barns, these are big historic barns. And in 1985, Classic Car Club um, was the very first one that said, you know what, we want to build our own museum. But rather than build it on our own property someplace and have to get an audience and promote it and all that, what they decided to do was 
that came to us and said, well, you know, we want to do a show here, we want to be able to build a building here and have our own museum. So they went out and found a barn and uh, put it on the property. That was 1985, and since then, um, we have kind of become, oh, I don't know, think of a condo or a mall of America. When you uh, think you go, you see several different stores. Well, when you come to the Gilmore Car Museum, we're on 90 acres, so we have a tremendous amount of, uh, of of grounds for shows, but we also have a tremendous amount of grounds on our historic campus for other museums. And so now we have Piercero that has built a museum on our site. So we have the Piercero uh, Society. We've got the H. H. Franklin Club that built a 1911 dealership that uh, replicates the dealership in Los Angeles from the time period. The Model A. Um, Ford Foundation built a 1928 Ford dealership full of cars and school bus playing all different types of things in there. Cadillac LaSalle just built a 1948 dealership and the Lincoln uh, Motor Car Foundation just built one from the early 30s that replicates one from Detroit area. Um, so we've We've really built this with, you know, six other museums on our site. Now, so Jay, than, do, Jay, do they maintain, each one of those, do they maintain them themselves? Actually, we, we have a management agreement with them, so the museum markets them, we maintain them, we provide security, we help them with exhibits. Um, so they don't they don't have to do a lot, they can, and a lot of them will bring in uh, volunteers on a regular basis. Model A is very good at that, they have volunteer docents in there quite often. Uh, so they're very involved, but they don't have to do the day-to-day. And they don't have to worry about, you know, locking up and alarming and all that because we're all one historic campus. Um, and it's pretty seamless. When people come to the museum, they probably don't realize that all of these other uh, buildings within our campus are actually other museums or other um, organizations that put these together. But it's pretty great because now, you know, if you're a Model A collector the place to go is the Gilmore Car Museum because you're going to see the National Model A Museum there, which is just packed full of Model A's. It's got the very first Model A ever built. It was made for, well, it was made for Henry Ford, obviously, but he gave it to Thomas Edison uh, right off the assembly line. And it's got a great story because, um, you know, you're going to come there and see that this car hasn't been on display. And he gave this to Thomas Edison. We've got photos of them at the factory as it came off the assembly line. And he's shaking Thomas's hand, and he's got a grin on his face. And you would expect Thomas to say, thank you, this is a great car. And instead he said, you know, I'd rather have an open car. Because the car he was given was a closed car. So Henry Ford, instead of going down the line and said, well, here's number 17, it's open, or whatever, he sent the car back down the assembly line and told the guys, guys, take this body off and put a, an open body on it. So he got a touring car and had it, had it until the day he died. And then his wife kept it until about 1943 when she gave it back to the Ford Motor Company, ended up in the Henry Ford Museum, but was never displayed. And so when the Model A Ford Foundation uh, created the dealership building, and uh, you know, you walk in, you see the parts department and the sales department, well, they said, this would be perfect. We really would love to display this car. So it's on a long-term loan to them from the Henry Ford Museum. Yeah. So it's a great opportunity to see it. And that's, that's how it is with all these separate museums, is that, you know, they have a passion for Franklin or for Lincoln, whatever their their mark is and so they're able to go out and get cars that we probably wouldn't necessarily be able to get or even know maybe it exists so it's it's great for the person that comes to visit because it's pretty seamless you go out to our historic campus and you know, you're going to walk past their 1941 diner and you're going to go in there and get lunch and you're going to look out the window and see a 1948 uh, Cadillac dealership that's you know when they opened the dealership this summer they covered the windows with paper and it said 
coming September 28th, the new 1948 Cadillac. And when they pulled the paper down to unveil it, it was just like an unveiling 1948. Hey, uh, you know, I knew we've talked about that. We've talked about that many times. Uh, that, that was the entertainment in the 50s and early 60s that uh, you'd go in and, and the dealers that were smart would lift just a little bitty corner, little corner of the brown a paper. Tear in the paper. Yep. So you could see the hubcaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. Oh, that was And great. they did a great job recreating that with the Cadillac. Oh, that's so cool. It's been a lot of fun working with these other groups um, and, and being able to see what they bring in and what they're bringing to the, you know, to the whole museum experience for people when they come. Yeah, I, um, pretty I, seamless, though. I really like the concept a lot, and I, I hope some of the, the other clubs uh, can work out something and this just continues to grow because I, I just think it's a great idea as you know, the AACA has their big museum in Hershey, but still, it's not. I, I just like the the being able to see the, the the all of the parts of the the um, the, the cars, not uh, going from one to another. I just think it's a great concept, and I do belong to the Model A Ford one, and I belong to the Cadillac one, and all that other stuff out there. I so. It, uh, I, I need to get back there. We just haven't been. We need to have you guys host an AACA national meet out there. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. You know, it's funny. When you said you've been there several years ago, we jokingly tell people, if you haven't been in the last three weeks, you're not going to recognize the place. Yeah, I'm sure. Because we, for the last decade, we have been the fastest-growing car museum in the nation. Um, not just for <laughs> the buildings that we've built, the infrastructure, but even the collection, how the collection has grown. Um, I've been with the museum for, uh, I guess this is my 13th season, and when I started, I think we displayed 90 cars out of a collection of about 135. Today, we display about 400 cars out of a collection of about 535. Wow. You know, so the, the collection has just grown. Um, the campus doesn't look anything like it did, say, even seven years ago, five years ago, three years ago. Um, when people first come to Gilmore Car Museum, they're going to see a big brick building that looks like an old factory from the turn of the century. And when they walk into that, you know, we have um, the world's largest turntable. It was built for Ford 1962, 42 feet across. can put three cars on it, and it's four separate turntables on that one. They're going to walk in in the main gallery. That's what they see. Um, every time we do, you know, we'll change. Sometimes we've had the classics on there, so there'll be a big Duesenberg up there, or we've had Hudson's up there. And right now we have all the Pioneer cars, all the early Brass Air cars are up there. And it's it's very nice. You walk in, and that's what greets you. And it's just one of these wow factors. Um, and you go from that, from different buildings or different galleries that take on a completely different theme, whether it's a barn, a car dealership, or just a big uh, ex- display gallery. Um, they have different themes, and it could be based on um, the decade that the car was made. It might be based on the car itself. We've had a huge... Um, display of Hudson's in a Hudson gallery. Uh, right now we've got temporary exhibit of, of hot rods. In fact, we have the little deuce coupe made famous by the Beach Boys. That's one of them that's in there. We've got some George Barris cars, all different types of things. That's a temporary exhibit. So as you go through, there's really something for everyone. Um, and the collection goes from those early Pioneer cars. You know, the first one in Kalamazoo was a 19, 1901 uh, locomobile. Well, we have that first car. We've got a couple um, early cars that were, we've got the replica of the first Benz, but some early cars from the late 1800s, And but we go clear into current cars. You're going to go all the way to a 2015 Lincoln on display. 
so it's the, the collection is pretty broad, pretty diverse. Yeah, I, I think it's I, I think it's it's amazing. Uh, just I don't know if you can tell or not. Do you, do you have any other car clubs getting ready to do something with you guys in the upcoming future? We have um, we've got at least one club that we've been in talks with, or they've been in talks with us, and we have one large private collector that um, kind of felt, you know, I need to leave my collection someplace. Um, and that's where I say we're probably the, uh, definitely the fastest growing in the last decade. And that's going to continue because um, just an example over Christmas time, you always think of, of holiday gifts, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that was a great time for us because we had one collector give us three vehicles. And now those three vehicles, one, the first one was a 1915 Brewster, and the other one's a 1917 locomobile, and then a matched 1925 locomobile. So we've got one collector that's looking to leave a large collection to us, and we have an estate that's also looking to do the same thing, and then a couple car collections. There are car, car clubs that want to build collections and build on our site. So I think we're in the next few years, we're still going to see a lot of growth as far as buildings. Um, and the theme, you know, we've, we've done the, the barn theme, we've done the... Um, you know, kind of the dealership row theme. So everybody might come with a little different uh, theme of building, but they're all going to be historic, either recreation or a building that's been moved there. Like our diner, that's actually a 1941 yeah. diner yeah. That, that served. I mean, it was moved there. So any of these other groups that come on, they'll follow the same same kind of a, a thought pattern, you know, make sure it fits into the historic campus. I've got a question on your diner. Um, is it sure. a, is it a Judkins body or a Fleetwood body or you, you know some of the car custom body companies built diners? Yeah, and actually, we had, when we started thinking about a diner, we actually looked for an early one because usually in the the yeah, mid thirties on up, we right. were hoping to find one. And what we found is the couple that we found one was really small, the other one they just wouldn't let go of it. So what we have is a 1941 Silk City. It's a little bit wider. Still only seats 35 people, um, and it's you know it's earlier than the 50s. By the time you got the 50s, a lot of times they would they'd make them a little bit longer or they'd double right. them up. Right. Um, but this one came from Connecticut area, and we brought it in, restored it, and we actually use it. The, all the people that work in there, they either you know they'll dress period clothing, they play the period music, and um, pretty simple menu. I mean, we don't. We don't go and uh, do steaks and things like that, but we have frozen custard. We have uh, our signature hot dog, several different sandwiches and things like that. So you really feel like, you know, you've enjoyed the museum and you step back in time because you're walking to a diner and hearing music and realizing that, you know, all the, all the events in history that took place, that somebody was sitting in this diner when it happened. You <laughs> exactly. Know? And a Nicholas song and six for a quarter. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, even though even the the pop or the the soda is all in glass bottles. Oh, is it? And wow. So we'll, wow. Yeah. So we'll have pop that people say, "I haven't seen that in so many years." You know, it's the yeah. Green River. Oh, I used to get that as a kid. Yeah. Well, we've got Green River. Oh, that's neat. Have you got moon pies too? We have had, but then we decided, you know, we we do so much with the frozen custard. They kind of said, "Well, let's just do the frozen custard." Yeah. That's that. Um, that's neat. Good. Um. Let's let's talk about uh, pre-war cars because you mentioned the brass era and kind of tell us about. I, I know you mentioned you had the replica of the eighteen ninety nine Benz, and I think they built a series of those cars. One hundred of them. Yep. One hundred of them, and um, the locomobile, the the early one, but but kind of from 
let's say, 1895 to 1916, what do you have on display there of that period of cars? Well, in the main gallery right now, like I said, you walk and you see the big turntable, it's really kind of fun because we have one little area that we've kind of made to look like an auto salon from, let's say, 1903. So in that grouping, we have 1903 Cadillac and the 1903 bird right next to each other, which is pretty fun because... You know, if you know the, the story behind it, you realize that the Cadillac grew out of Henry Ford's second field company, and so the cars look nearly identical for that first year. Those are right beside each other. Then we have a 1903 Columbia Electric. Ooh. Um, and people go, Electric, a 1903? And, if, you know, you think, Scream. wow, how, yeah. how did they come up with that? Well, not only how did they come up with it, <laughs> it in, in this part of Michigan, we wouldn't have had electricity in most farms and homes until the mid-30s. Yeah, you'd have them in the cities, you'd have them at factories, but most homes didn't have them, you know, in the rural country. So when you look at this car in 1903, you're like, wow. But then we have a 1903 Stevens Duray right in that same area. So it's really nice to see a large collection of 1903 cars mm-hmm. together, you know, done just as if it was an onslaught. And then probably the one that really, for us, uh, is the attention grabbers in 1903 Michigan, and that was built in Kalamazoo, which is 15 miles from the museum. And people go, really? They built their own car. Um, and Kalamazoo actually, you know, eventually built a lot of different cars, and one of them was the Checker. But yes. if, if you walk past the 1903s, you're going to see a 1909 uh, Holzman, you know, the big tall wheel Holzman, looks like a buggy with a little motor underneath it. So right. Any farmer could pull away. And right across from that on the turntable, you're going to see a 1910 Lozier. So here you have a that's Holzman a, that's, yeah, that's quite a car. probably a $450 car. To the Lozier that's a $7,000 car when it was new. Yes. You know, one was designed for a farmer, one was designed for the ultra-wealthy. Um, and so that's the kind of stuff you're going to see in that early early era. Of course, we have the Model T, and um, people will look at our, our 1908 Model T and go, well, this isn't right. We'll say, well, what's not right about it? Well, it's red. That can't be. The Model T's were all black. Well, I have a white no, one. when they first came out, they were all different colors. Yeah, I have a white one. Yeah. A 10. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. And, and people see these cars and they, they uh, will start sharing the stories of how they, you know, their grandfather had one or that they, you know, they grew up going to shows with one. And so it, it's, a, it's a great way to uh, carry in conversations with people. And with the Model T, we also do Model T driving schools at the museum. So it's kind of fun to, to take them through and show here's a 1908, here's our 1915, um, and here's the difference between the two. Uh, and they really see that team. They'll say, oh, that, that one's black, and that doesn't have all the brass on it. Um, and the other thing we've added, simply because we're in the middle of winter, we put the side curtains on the 1915 Brewster. And uh, so that always gets people talking about, so they didn't have heaters, they didn't have windows. You just look at these early cars, and you don't really realize that all the time. I have a raccoon coat. <laughs> well, there you go. So, you know, you can model, 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 Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, I, we do a lot of brass car stuff, so I, I, that's, to me, the most fun of the, of the hobby. Uh, when I was on the ACA board, my the greatest reward that I got, that I personally got out of this, was working with the youth program. I did the... Uh, was involved with Haggerty, the Haggerty judging program, kicking that thing off and doing a bunch of stuff with that. Uh, because of uh, and the the eclectic collection that you guys have and the stuff that you have, do do you have specific youth involvement programs that you 
try to get as many of the young people involved in? Yeah, that's one thing that I think we've, we've excelled at, is that the um, first thing we do is we let all school groups, you know, if you're, you want to come for a field trip, if, if you're um, K through 12, school groups, we let those groups in for free. We kind of looked at it a few years back and thought, you know what, if we're serious about educating and we're serious about sharing sharing what we have with a new generation and trying to inspire them, why are we charging school groups to come? So we decided we'd go out and find sponsors that would pay pay for the, you know, the admission for those groups to come, and we decided we're not charging them anymore. So school groups come for free, and then the other thing we've got is uh, a great group of retired educators that have a passion for not just history, but a passion for the history of the automobile. And they'll come out, and they might dress in carry clothing. In fact, we have one gentleman that will dress uh, as the gas station attendant and have his uh, 1930 DeSoto over by our 1930s gas station, and kids will come out there, and they've never seen a hose and a bell going off, and they've never seen somebody check the oil or wash your window or your gas. So we engage them, you know, by doing that, and these guys are great. They each take a sit in a certain area when these groups come in and do that. So it's a lot of fun for them to do. And the other thing we do is if a school says, you know, we're kind of on the fence, we don't know if it's something we want to do is to come to the museum, we'll take a, a team of educators right to them. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about Henry Ford or we'll talk about, you know, auto design or, or whatever different educational program we have. We'll take it right to the schools. In fact, we've taken, several different times, we've taken Model T right out to the school and bring the kids out to the parking lot and let uh, them hear it run and see Jay, how it starts. And Jay, I'm going to have you know. Jay, I'm going to have to interrupt you for a minute. We didn't take a, our quarter-hour break, but we did need to take our uh, half-hour break. And if you don't mind continuing uh, when we come back, sure. we'll be back in just a minute on the Classic Car Show. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Okay, we're back, and we kind of left you talking about taking a Model T to school. So if you would uh, kind of elaborate on that for us, please. Sure. The, the Gilmore Car Museum has really been uh, very fortunate, I guess, because we have a lot of educators that have retired that have been in the hobby. And so um, 
if a, if a school group doesn't come to the museum, like I was talking, uh, we let those groups in for free, if they can't come for whatever reason, they're not sure, and they're on the fence, we'll take a program right to them. And we've taken Model T's out to schools, and um, so they'll, the kids will come in and they'll hear, hear a story about maybe the Model T or some part of history, then we invite them out to the parking lot. And these kids are always blown away. They actually see the car, but they, they see it run, they hear it run. And usually, you know, we don't usually take all the kids, but uh, depending on the size of the class and number of cars we've taken, usually there's a couple standout kids that have, you know, maybe did a report or did something that they, they're the ones selected to go for a ride. And that right there, what an experience for those kids. Oh, and so they're going to go home and talk to their parents and say, we've got to go to this car museum. Yeah, or great. I want to learn more. And that's the one thing you will find at Gilmore is that because we have two and a half miles of roadway, it's really not uncommon to see a car of any vintage, whether it's a, you know, a 70 um, Pontiac driving through the grounds or a 1930, uh, 34 Auburn or a 1915 Model T. You'll see these on the ground driving around, not just parked somewhere. It's because um, we've got the facility to do that. Now, the other thing that we do education-wise, geared towards everybody, is we do a Model T driving school, and that's a lot of fun because most people say, well, why would I need to learn to drive a Model T? And we'll ask me, have you ever driven a Model T? Well, no. And part of it is that are we, we're so used to hopping in a car and either turn the key or push a button, right? We can right. roll our windows up and down electrically, turn the heat on and complain because it's we it can? didn't get warm enough quick enough. <laughs> we well, can? We get them in the <laughs> yeah. We get them into a Model T, we explain, look, there's, this is how this has started. This is uh, how you're going to drive it. It's done with pedals. There's no gas pedal down there. And so it really takes them off guard. We have a great time. We usually, uh, we'll do one class a month usually, uh, or one class day a month, usually a couple classes uh, per day. We'll have over 200 people a year that will come out and take these classes. Oh, it's a they blast! It is, yeah. and we've had them from all over the all over the world travel to come to do this class. Because where else are you going to take a car? And uh, we have a fleet of Model T's. Actually, we've had a fleet of Model T's uh, that we keep growing because people keep donating them to us just for education purposes. Um, but we're able to take them out. And they actually are driving a real Model T. It's not a recreation. Um, and we always joke if we start with five cars that are running, by the end of the class, we'll have one that's running. And I say, why is that? Well, because we're driving them, you're getting in and out, you're stopping, we're going to have a tire go flat, or maybe one's going to overheat, we're going to have something happen just about every car. Is it, that's, is that it, was life. Yeah. That was yeah. life back then. Is it true the R pedal stands for race? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't, maybe. I think when I learned to drive, um, our operations director was, uh, was, was, was with me, and we have an electronic gate, and uh, I was trying to pull up to it, and you know, when you're so used to driving a stick shift, you, that just goes back in your head, and you think, oh, i got to stop, and you start to put the what you think is the brake and the clutch in, and that's not necessarily a great thing to do in a Model T. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> he thought I was going to take the gate out, and uh, so I think he probably figured I was looking at it and thought race as well. Oh. Um, he ended yeah. up stalling the car for me. Yeah. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. A T is a great old car. We've, yeah. we've taken they're, they're our... Are, they're a tremendous amount of fun. People have a great time. We've had uh, students as young as 16 and as old as 87 come out and take the class. And it's, it's fun to see those two groups interact together in a car that's 80 or 100 years old. It's just it's fascinating. Um, they have a great time. Now, probably the biggest education thing that we do, um, and we've, I think we're in our seventh year of doing this, we have a program called Gilmore Garage Works. And it's sponsored by um, different people throughout the, uh, the community. And what we've done is we've gone to uh, area 
um, high schools. And I think we've got five different counties that we kind of butt into. And so we've gone to those five counties and the high schools in those areas and said, all right, we're going to offer this to any student you feel worthy, any student you feel maybe is at risk of, you know, they're going to drop out or maybe they don't have an opportunity to go to college. And most of our area does not have auto shop or wood shop. They don't have tech centers. And so we thought, you know what, we've got hobbyists, we've got cars, uh, why not open up a machine shop to these high school students? So for two days a week, they come in um, on Tuesdays and Thursdays after school for a couple hours each, and we have about 35 mentors that work with about 25 or 35 kids, and they break up into groups, and one kid might be on a team where they're rebuilding an engine to a 1936 Packard. There might be another team of two or three kids and mentors that are learning how to refinish wood spoke wheels and put them back together. And uh, they're working on projects from 1908, Buick, all the way up to, I want to say, into the the late 40s. I don't re- exactly remember what that car is, but I know that they've rewired um, the 36 Packard and got that, so it's pretty close, ready for paint. They've got a, a Buick from, I think, 27 that one team has been working in, and they trade off so that by the time the kid goes through a whole semester, they haven't learned how to restore a car, but they've gotten kind of a taste of the hobby, They've been mentored by adults that aren't cops, that aren't coaches, they're not teachers, but it's somebody that they've met. And the biggest thing they probably learn is those life skills, showing the work, the time, um, you know, doing the project you said you're going to do, you know, wearing the clothes you're supposed to wear to work. And if they drop out of school or they miss a number of school days, they can't show up to the um, garage works. And we've had kids that uh, when they first start doing it go, oh my word, why, why are my parents making me do this after school school? And then before long, maybe two or three weeks into the project, now they're they're bragging about how they're in this program. And uh, we've had several kids that end up going to college, a couple that have gone into the military, and that's really rewarding when you see these kids. You know, when we first started it, we thought, what did we get ourselves into? You know, the first batch of kids come, and they've got, you know, the belts with the chains hanging off for their wallet. We're like, oh, my word, what do we do? Uh, but we have a uniform that they have to wear. They have to wear a particular shirt and jeans. And everybody knows these are the rules. And now you've got kids just begging to get in this program. So it's been it's been a great way to introduce young people to the hobby. And it's not all young men. You know, we've we've had a lot of uh, young girls that are getting the program as well. And it's nice too because you know during the summer we we hire a lot of people to work whether it's in our diner or maybe to work as a docent throughout the museum. And we've hired a lot of these kids um, kind of as a reward. You've done really well through the program. We know you, we trust you now, now we're going to hire you to work as a docent to help people as they tour through the museum. So those are just some of the, some of the things we, we do education. That's wonderful. I, uh, I, I, I give you a, a gold star for all that kind of effort. That's a lot more than, than I've heard other, other organizations do. Yes. Yes. let me ask. I, you know, I've been sitting here listening, and, and the innovations that you all have done, do these ideas come from you or come from board meetings or... How have you all progressed and, and built such a, a great institution, organization? Well, it, it really is kind of an overall uh, a group think, I believe. You know, we, we kind of let ideas percolate. We'll have ideas that come from a volunteer core that we have. Um, and we have a group of guys that worked in the auto um, industry, whether they worked as a shop manager or salesman at a car dealership, or maybe they worked at a at a factory, and they come in on Monday mornings, and their goal 
And, you know, the goal, they've always told us is we're going to make sure every single car in this museum collection stays running. So they'll go through and work on those cars. Or we have another team we call the Wranglers for Model Ts, and, and on Mondays or Tuesdays after the class uh, that we've done over the weekend, they'll come in and work on those Model Ts and get them running again. So it's groups like that that'll come up with great ideas. Our education team will come up with different ideas. We kind of let these percolate and go, oh, my word. So it's not just, you know... Uh, a staff member that comes up with an idea it's we really kind of rely on our our community of, of hobbyists that are involved and we've had people from the community you know that'll come to us the, the local chamber will come to us with an idea like wow why didn't we think of that we're supposed to be the ones to think of these ideas so it's really more of a group think and it's it's great because you get ideas that we wouldn't think of we don't see you know sometimes you're you're too close to a a project or a situation, you know, so we have that with the, the collection, you know, we'll put cars on display and we just kind of take it for granted and right now we have third, um, five 1934 Auburn V12s, we have everybody style, made in 1934, all painted identical, and we'll put them on display and go, oh, that looks cool, and just not give it a lot of thought. Somebody else will come in and go, oh my word, because it's so incredibly rare. And so um, we we do rely a lot on our our community and the hobbyists themselves to help us build some of these great ideas. Talking about those V12 Auburns, that engine was also in a fire engine, if I remember rightly. Is that yeah, correct? I believe it's a Lycoming, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, in fact, that's how some of the guys souped up their engines or their, their cars was they put the engine from the fire engine in it. And uh, my understanding is they ran a bit faster. Um, any foreign product, or are you primarily domestic in your museum? We do have some foreign. Um, our our mission is to tell America's story through the automobile. Beautiful. And yeah, yeah, the great. impact that it's had. And every one of these cars will have a story. So for the most part, they're American cars. But we do have those that aren't American because it does have a, some type of an impact um, we had, uh, oh, you know, we'll have a, an early, like a 53 MG. Why? Well, because it tells a story of, you know, guys coming back from the service and seeing these, you know, cars like that in Europe and how that really impacted the industry to bring some small sport cars to the United States. Or we'll do the Volkswagen Beetle um, because of the impact it had on the industry or just on people in general. So we do have a handful of foreign cars. Okay. It's, it's right. not our focus. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I was just curious because you've got quite an MG group there uh, that's active. Uh, i just gotten the signal from David that we're going to have to take a break. And then when we come back from break, we allow David to ask one question. So here's David. Okay. All right. We'll be back in just a moment. Hello. I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on The Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Hi, I'm Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio, talking to you about antique car insurance. Uh, in this hobby uh, that I've been part of for years, not all insurance companies and insurance coverage is the same. I would suggest that you call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com to find out some information about some of the best antique car insurance you can get, such as agreed value. 
uh, insurance for your classic car. Again, if you're when you get ready to to uh, insure your classic classic antique or even your street ride, call J.C. Taylor Insurance or visit jctaylor.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we're back on the Classic Car Show. We're very delighted uh, to have uh, Mr. Jay Fallis from the Gilmore Car Museum up in uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, or thereabouts. Hickory Corners, actually. And, uh, Jay, they, they do let me ask one question, and so I roll the dice to pick the question today, and... Uh, You've been there 13 years. Out of all you've seen, which is your favorite car? Well, you know, that's always a challenge because we have so many great cars that we've seen through the collection. You know, uh, our, the collection is diverse, and it goes all the way through, you know, current time periods. So I can look at the 50s, or we have a lot of Duesenbergs and uh, things like that. But probably for me, it is the uh, 48 Tucker. And the reason for that is because of the, just the fantastic story, how rare it is. And I very seldom see one. Um, the car that's in the museum is owned by the museum. It's number 47, so it's towards the very end of production. It only produced 50 pilot cars and one handle um, prototype. And when the museum got it, I think, and the photos I've seen of the dash, I think it was like 6.8 miles or something like that because the transmission was wired wrong and kind of stuck in, in gear. Today, we've, we think we've just rolled over 60 miles. On wow. That car. wow. And most of that is on and off trailers or, you know, out of a semi and down the road a mile to a show or whatever or back back and forth to the shop. Um, and it's even got the grease pencil number 47 still written underneath the hood from the factory. So it's, it's, it's a fascinating story. You know, it's got the pop out windshield and then the collapsible steering column and seats that are interchange and a, uh, basically a helicopter engine converted from uh, air cooled motors in the back. And, and it's, all the what ifs um, that kind of go with that car. So, the, my top car would be the Forty Eight Tucker, and my second car would probably be the nineteen ten Lozier because the car we have has a connection to Titanic and local survivors, and uh, that's been always an uh, 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 area of fascination for me as well. So, I'm kind of at both ends: nineteen forty eight Tucker and nineteen ten Lozier. Wow, that's great. Um, we we've talked to some of the other museums that have had Tuckers too, and. Uh, they are incredible cars, and I believe it's Hemmings uh, Classic Car Magazine this month features a Tucker model that apparently was one of the pre-designs with inv- Alex Tremulous involvement. As I think he was one of the chief designers or the designer of the Tucker. But that is yeah, an incredible yeah, it, car, and yeah, uh, it's got a 
great story, great history behind it. So Yeah, I was up in Traverse City, Michigan back in the early 70s, and there was a used car dealer there who had signed up to become a Tucker dealer. And he had a bunch of Tucker showroom uh, materials and things at that time. So I guess there were some people that actually did sign up to become a dealer. A lot of them. Yeah. And then yeah, actually, we think about 2000. At one time, we had uh, gone through and, and confirmed about 1,200 dealers. These are names of people that actually had signed up. Um, and that's what we confirmed, but we know there was, there might be one or two that we've confirmed in Florida, but we know there were seven or eight at least. Um, so it's pretty amazing the, the, the dealer network that they had, the people that got excited behind the car. And, of course, it you know all ended with the, uh, the court cases over um, what they considered fraud, you know, building a car that right. didn't exist and things like that. Right. But Preston Tucker and his crew were all acquitted. But that didn't help his company, and that, of course, that all adds to the story that makes it kind of the, the mystique behind why why I'm fascinated with that car. Yeah, no, I can understand it. Uh, we have one here local. Yeah, two. Yeah, there's only one left. Yeah. There was two here. The Kofers had one, and Kofers and Tommy Protzman had right. one. And yeah. then, as you know, I'm sure that the, that guy that just died, that Kamek guy, gave all of his stuff and built a wing to the AACA museum with just Tucker stuff. Right. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. It is. It's always it's, great it to have somebody that's willing to, to donate, um, to, to you know, just to have the hobby grow. And that's one thing I think that the Gilmore Car Museum we've been really, really blessed with. We've had a lot of fantastic donors. And like I said earlier, when we talk about the Model T class, we've had a lot of donors come forward and say, well, we've got a Model T. We got one out of Atlanta uh, this last year. The gentleman said, well, that's pride and joy, but who in Atlanta is going to drive a Model T? And uh, he didn't want it to become a hot rod or something. He said, I understand you're going to teach people how to drive them. So that's how we got a car. So it's, hey, it's fantastic, you know, when, when you have people that will share their hobby even well after they're gone. Kind of build the legacy of the hobby. Jay, Steve and I live in Atlanta, and Steve drives a Model T in All Atlanta. over the place. All over. I kid you <laughs> not. Yes. Good thing he didn't know that. Yeah. He never got our car. Yeah, 1910. And I had a 26T in my neighborhood. And uh, the gentleman sold it, and the guy that bought it couldn't drive it, and he has to go over to the guy's house every once in a while and move it around yeah. for him. Uh, yeah, so. as you know, you know Atlanta traffic is some of the worst in the United States. And when I get out, I just go on local local streets, and most people smile and wave and laugh. But there's there's been quite a few that have told me I'm number one as I'm driving at 20 miles an hour down the road. They. Yeah. See, and that might—you may have made that donation happen for us. There. That gentleman may have seen you drive that and thought, "There is no way this car is going to go up there." With him. No, and the next so one I'm doing now is, a, is an 09 Maxwell Model A. So that's the next next project. But I'm I'm very impressed okay. not only with the museum but with your your commitment to the hobby in general and and the youth programs and. Because if we don't all do something similar to what you're doing, I wonder where this stuff is going to be 50 years from now. I've always wondered that stuff. Yeah, exactly. You know, if we don't share our interest in our hobby, I mean, that's probably how we all got into it, right? Sure. Somebody shared something with us. We got to ride in a car. Absolutely. You know, what, what an absolute thrill. You know, we'll do, we do 18, 20 large car shows a year on our campus, and what a thrill for somebody 
you know, or after our, our Model T driving school, we'll see a group of, you know, young people with their family will drive up and say, hey, you guys want to go for a ride in the Model T? Or if we have a car out and about, we're working on it. A lot of times we'll stop and say, hey, you want, you want to cop in and go for a ride? It might mean very little to us, but wow, what an impact it, it is amazing. on a young yeah. person. Yeah. You know, and, and that's exactly it. We need to share, share our hobby. I, oh, I, yeah. I, I got to ask, Jay, do you have a lot of uh, grandparents bringing their grandkids? Oh, yeah. We, it's, it is fun because, um, you know, when they first walk in, you'll see these teens and they're on their iPhones doing whatever and thinking that, you know, they're not going to be interested or I'm here with my grandparents. But it's not too long once you see them farther in the museum, they'll be talking about some particular car and go, I, unbelievable, they didn't have this. Or they'll, they'll get over where the hot rods are at or they'll be over where some of the muscle cars are at and now they're engaged. And you're like, wow, what a transformation of when you first got here and what they, I think what they anticipate they're going to see. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Uh, one, one, one thing, too, that young kids really get a kick out is we have a movie set from a Disney movie. Now, they don't recognize the movie because it came out in 1967, but that's the mobile. And it's a huge back seat to a Rolls Royce. And just the idea that Disney and Donald Gilmore had a connection and Walt Disney donated uh, the car and this movie set, um, they recognize the Disney name and they, they're able to look at this movie set and go, wow, they, that's how they made movies? They didn't do it with a computer? You know, they actually well, made a movie set and made people look small? <laughs> so stuff like that, I think, really helped young people kind of get excited about the hobby. Yeah. Well, with that, uh, have you got any, uh, have you overheard any stories that you can't repeat on radio other than on America's <laughs> Web Radio? Boy, I have, but I'm, I probably should do that off the air. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question. Um, sure. You have a large display of mascots, hood ornaments, and name badges. When I was uh, very young, there was a gentleman in South Bend right by the Studebaker test track named Homer Fitterling that had seven or eight Duesenbergs and an enormous collection of emblems. Do you have that collection? Are we, you we do not have that collection. Okay. Uh, we have two collections that came to the museum. One is the Tamroff collection. Marv Tamroff, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, one was their collection. And then they're both about the same size, seven or 800 pieces each. Um, and the other one came from Canada. Okay. Um, but fantastic collection. Now, we have a name badge collection, about 400 name badges. And that came to us after uh, the gentleman passed away. And the story was is that he worked at a shop, and every time he worked in a car, he took a souvenir. <laughs> and so we have a souvenir collection. Gee. Oh, wow. Well, I can imagine what you'd find in some glove boxes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh dear! Yeah, it is a pretty neat collection. In fact, we do uh, we do one of the big auto shows. We don't do Detroit, but we'll do Grand Rapids, and uh, we always take hoodermints to show people, and they're fascinated with them. In fact, this year they've got a guy going to do ice sculpture, and he's going to sculpt some of the the uh, hoodermints that we take. So they they are fascinating to take a look. Oh, at. they're beautiful. You realize that by the time you get in the fifties, you really don't have many hoodermints. You know, they've got some really fancy ones. Right into the classic era. Well, you have one of the best in Pierce Arrow. That the, the original archer, the silver and gold bow and arrow, and the and the ruby eyes. That I can't imagine what it would cost to have that done today. Oh yeah, and we have some elite crystal that are fascinating for people to look at. And 
and I think some of the fun ones are the things that actually, you know, uh, they function. The arms will spin, the yeah, eyes will yeah, light yeah. up. You know, some yeah. of those are, are a lot of fun for people to look at. Jay, we, uh, we only have about a minute, minute and a half to go. How about telling everybody how they can get a hold of you, uh, your website, and go through uh, informa- contact information and hours and so forth? Sure. Gilmore Car Museum, we're uh, located... Uh, by Kalamazoo, it's Hickory Corners, uh, between uh, Detroit and Chicago, right off of I-94, so easy to find. Out in the middle of nowhere, so you don't have to worry about traffic. They can go on our website at gilmorecarmuseum.org. They'll find all our events and all about the museum in there. But we're open year-round. The historic campus, we, we close a lot of those buildings in the winter, but you're going to see probably about half the collection if you came right now. And uh, when we open back up in spring, you'll see yeah, maybe another couple hundred cars, so you'll see about 400 uh, you know, if you came in the summer, about 200 right now. But we really bring out the, the fantastic cars, you know, in the in the winter, so you get to see a good good mix. Um, GilmoreCarMuseum.org is the best thing. They can follow us on Facebook um, and learn a lot of trivia as well. But like I said, we're open year-round. Our mission is $13 for adults, so it's very affordable. And the biggest thing is people need to realize they need to spend or plan three to four hours to spend. It's not something you're just going to wander through quickly. And that to us is quick. I, w- I want to add one other thing to your admission, and that's that active duty military also get in free. Exactly. Yes. Yep. Yes. If they come in with a, you know, ID to show their active duty, we'll let them in for free. Just a way of us being able to say thank you uh, for their service to our country. So yeah, uh, we've got a lot of discounts. We do discounts for uh, for car clubs if they come in with a group of cars and say that we're doing a tour. Well, we, we want to share and give a, a discount to them as well. So all that's listed on our website. Um, they can find a whole lot more information. And uh, the biggest thing people need to realize is they're going to be wowed. It's not like anything they've seen before. Jay, Jay Follis, uh, we want to thank you. Uh, Gilmore Auto Museum, uh, Car Museum. And uh, we want to thank you. And I'm sorry for the little glitch at the start, but we got everything worked out. And this has been a fantastic interview. I hope you'll come back and uh, be on the Classic Car Show with us. I certainly will. I've had a great time. Thank you, guys. All right, thank, thank you, you Jay. Right, thank you. Bye. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.